It's time once again for another look into God's infallible book, and we want to welcome you to another broadcast of the Riches of Grace. My name is Richard Jordan, and it's my privilege to be your Bible teacher and host each week as we look together into the Word of God to allow the Spirit of God to teach us out of His Word. Our purpose and our, our aim in our studies together is to, to look into the Scripture and allow the Spirit of God to tell us what He's doing. Let Him be our instructor. My goal for teaching each week on this program is to help you to come to the place where you can understand God's Word for yourself. Consequently, you can understand God's will for yourself, and then you can bring your life into, into, into conformity to that. You know, people talk about they want to do the will of God in their life, and they're, they're looking for God to whisper in their ear, you know, marry this person, or buy that car, or go to this mission field, or take that job, or don't do this activity. God doesn't whisper in your ear. He's already, he wrote a book over almost 2,000 years. He wrote a book, 40-plus authors. He, co- he caused it to be preserved through history, collated it together, had it translated into the languages of the nations. You and I have it in our language, in the English language. And why would he do all of that if he still needed to talk to you in your ear or give you some hunch or impression? No, he has written his word. You know, we, we have a saying uh, in, um, in, in among Bible believers, and it's something that's been echoed through the, through the centuries, that the Bible is the final authority in all matters of faith and practice. It's not just the final authority in what you believe. It ought to be that. Not the church, not tradition, but the Bible. And in practice. Now, a lot of people will get the first part of that and try to follow it. But when it comes to the practice, that is the, the living and the details of your life, the will of God. Then they start looking to other places in the Bible to get God's will. You don't discover God's will in the circumstances of your life. You don't discover God's will in the impressions and the hunches that you have. You don't discover God's will on the on the fortuitous convergence of events that just had to be God putting them together for you. No, you discover God's will in his word. That's where he put his word. You know, we, people talk about, well, you know, you, you know commit that stuff unto the Lord and he'll direct thy paths. And that's absolutely true. But the way he says he will direct your paths is with his written word. He has revealed to you his will. What, what, your, what your life is, uh, what your circumstances are, what your feelings and impressions are, those are the places, that's the context, that's the, the stage upon which you go and do the will of God. You see, you don't need to go there to discover the will of God. God's will has been completely and totally revealed to you in his word. You take his word, you study his word, you rightly divide his word, you see what God's will is, what God's doing, and then you go out and do the will of God on the stage of human history where you live. Now, I know that's a, that's a mindset shift for a lot of believers, because a lot of believers think, well, I'm out here trying to discover God's will for my life in my circumstances and my situation. No, uh, <laughs> you discover God's will in his word. You want to do the will of God in your life? I trust you do. Well, Paul says this is the, the, that God our Savior will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's the fundamental will of God. If you're not saved, he wants you to be saved. If you are saved, he wants you to know the truth. He wants you to come to a knowledge of the truth. He wants you to understand what he's doing and what he's accomplishing and his great cosmic purpose in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you, as you do that and you see what he's doing, then you simply by faith go out into your life and do what God's doing. 
Now, if you're doing in your life what God's doing, you'll be doing the will of God. How do you know what he's doing? You find it in his word. So it's, it's, it's imperative that you come to God's word to find. That's the reason my purpose here, I'm not interested in psychobabble. I'm not interested in trying to give you five little formulas to make your life work more smoothly. I want you to understand God's word for yourself, to be equipped to go to the word of God and find answers in God's word about what God's doing and how would he operate in this particular circumstance. Now, if you want to do God's will in the circumstance you're in, facing the problems you're facing, then you need to come to his word, find the answer, and then use your creative genius to go and take that will of God and apply it in your life and to put on demonstration how Jesus Christ would live his life through you in these circumstances. That's a wonder. That's the wonderful thrill and challenge of what the Christian life really is all about. It's not living up to a bunch of rules and regulations and religious systems and religious expectations. It's that dynamic living life of Christ living out through you as you walk by faith and an understanding of his word. And then you see that, that, that both will and do his good pleasure in you because you're trusting it. Of all the questions that we, we get here in our ministry, uh, and all, all the, the things that we uh, have people ask us about. And we, we get a lot of questions. We get a lot of phone calls, letters, emails, uh, messages, and so forth, asking various and sundered, sundry kind of questions. And all the questions of all the questions we receive and, and the things we try to answer, one question probably stands out above everything else. And that's the question that the Philippian jailer asked the Apostle Paul. And uh, in Acts chapter 16, sirs, what must I do to be saved? We just had a letter. I just, just this week, I, I got a letter from a man. He's 70 years old. And he said, I've been listening to your program. And he said, for the first time in my life, after all these years of striving, of, of fear, of frustration, of confusion, I see how to be saved. And, you know, you get a letter like that. And someone has genuinely come to understand the gospel, the grace of God, and salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. You see someone do that, it's a thrill. That question uh, is, is, one of the, is probably the most important question. It's the first will of God for your life to be saved. Somebody says, well, that's an easy answer. Answer what Paul says. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Paul's answer was, was quick in response, positive in content. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. It's just as simple as that. But you know, if, you're, if you study the Bible, all of a sudden you discover in the Scripture, the answer to that question is not quite as simple as, uh, as Paul's answer in uh, Acts 16.31. And the reason for that is there's a lot of the Bible before Acts 16, and a lot of people read the Bible before Acts 16. And when you start telling people all you have to do to go to heaven when you die and have your sins forgiven, have eternal life as a present possession, is trust exclusively in the Lord Jesus Christ, people begin to say, yeah, but wait a minute. <laughs> that question was asked and answered in other parts of the Bible in different ways. Did you ever notice that? In Luke chapter number 3, for example, when John the Baptist begins his ministry, and he's preaching, uh, you know, he's the voice of one crying in the wilderness, pray you the way of the Lord, make his path straight. 
and he's preaching so that all flesh shall see the salvation of God, Luke chapter 3. People came to him, verse number 10, Luke three ten, and asked him, saying, What shall we do? In other words, if, we need, if, if, if salvation is available from God, and if the wrath of God's going to fall on people that, that aren't saved, what shall we do? That's the same question that the Philippian jailer asked Paul. But listen how John the Baptist answers that. He answered and said unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. And he that hath meat, let him do likewise. What? <laughs> that I, I never heard. I've heard preachers preach, but you don't hear preachers preaching that very often to answer the question, how do I have the salvation of God? So verse 12, Luke chapter 3, verse 12, Then came also the publicans to be baptized, and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? Well, he says unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed to you. So when the tax collectors come, he said, Don't, don't, uh, don't, don't, don't start uh, cheating people. The soldiers, verse 14, likewise demanded of him. I mean, these people are concerned about what's going on. They demand of him, what shall we do? And he said unto them, do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I've been preaching for uh, a long time, five decades. I've never one time answered the question, what must I do to be saved, to have the salvation of God, with any of those answers. Not one time. Luke chapter number 18. Luke chapter 18, they, the question arises again. In Luke chapter 18, verse number 18, a certain ruler asked Jesus, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So there's the same question that comes up. Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There's none good save one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother. And the young man says, All these have I kept from my youth up. Now when Jesus had heard these things, Luke chapter 18, verse 22, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing, sell all that, you have, that thou hast, and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. Now you know I'll be honest with you. I've heard preachers. I heard a preacher just, just uh, a day or two ago, on the radio, talking about how you need to sell all that you have and and give it away. And the people that have sold all that they have and given up all for Jesus are going to have this great inheritance in the kingdom. And he's telling people to you know give give your tithe even if you don't have food money for food. Put your tithe into the church, and God's going to bless you. And I'm thinking now, he says, one thing thou lackest, sell all that thou hast and distribute to the poor. Now that preacher that said that drove up to that church building in a big old new car. He lives in a nice house. He hadn't sold all he has and given it to the poor. Now he'll say, oh, well, that did, they don't really mean that, Brother Rick. If he didn't mean it, why didn't he say it? You know, what the, you know what the apostles did in Acts chapter 2 and 3 and 4 based on this commandment? They sold all that they had. Luke 14, he says, If a man doth not forsake all that he hath and follow me, he cannot be my disciple. You know, I've never told anybody to do that to have eternal life. 
<laughs> you, and the preacher that I heard say that, he doesn't tell people to do that, to have eternal life. But you know what Jesus did? When he said, what, the man asked him, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? That's what Jesus told him. John the Baptist told him, here's a bunch of works you need to do to have eternal life. Jesus said, here's some works you need to do. Here's some things you need to divest yourself of in order to have eternal life. If you go to Mark chapter 16, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he gave the post-resurrection commission to uh, his apostles, some people call this the, the Great Commission. Did you know that nobody ever used the, nobody ever called this the post-resurrection commission of Christ, the Great Commission, until the 1800s? It was the 19th century missionary movement, very famous missionary to India, in fact. Maybe you know who he is. Maybe you don't. Look it up. I mean, all you got to do is just Google Great Commission, and you'll find this information out. It's not anything startling new unless you've just lived in the cloistered environment of religious tyranny that likes to use terms to extract money out of you based on religious tradition and, and emotional uh, coercion rather than the truth of God's Word. But the idea of the, the so-called Great Commission, for almost 2,000 years in church history, nobody ever heard that term. <laughs> and preachers now apply it to Matthew 28, and it's the whole thrust of mission, because it was a term developed in the 19th century in order to raise money to send folks to foreign fields in mission in missions. And uh, because the British Empire and then the United States had all the money, they used it in that term. That's where it came from. The, uh, the use of Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke's, Luke 24, John 20, and Acts 1 as the Great Commission is a misnomer. The Great Commission was given by the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 10 when he first ordained his apostles. What he did in Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, John 20, and Acts 1 is he expanded on a portion of the Great Commission that he gave them in Matthew 10. But you see, you don't follow the commission in Matthew 10. You know what he told them in Matthew 10? He said, don't go to the Gentiles. Oh, we don't like that, do we? Couldn't preach on the radio here to you today. You couldn't go to church this morning because there's no seat for you. Go not where the Gentiles, in the city of the Samaritans, enter you not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and preach, saying, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Everybody trying to bring in the kingdom today, that's Israel's kingdom. And he specifically told them in the Great Commission, don't talk to you Gentiles. You see that if you actually start reading the Bible, it gets a little confusing when compared to what preachers are doing with it out here in, 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 in the public and in the pulpit. Now, in Mark 16, when Jesus is expanding the development, if you go through that commission in Matthew 10, you'll see that it starts with the apostles' commission there in Matthew 10 and carries them, gives them instructions about what they're to do all the way out to the second coming of Christ in the kingdom. At different stages of that commission, they're to do different things. When the time came for them to begin to move out from just Israel, he gives them an expansion of that commission, Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, Act John 1 and Acts 1, John 20 and Acts 1. And he expands their horizon. Mark 16, he says, go into, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, in Luke 24 and Acts 1, he tells them there's an order to go. You're to go to every creature, but you're to begin at Jerusalem. Then you go to Judea, Samaria, and uttermost parts of the earth. By the way, you hear preachers say, well, that means Jerusalem is your hometown. 
In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when he said, beginning at Jerusalem, Jerusalem was not the hometown of any man standing there listening to him. And get your Bible, read Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and read down to verse 11, and you'll see the angel address those men as ye men of Galilee. Go get a map, back of your Bible, an atlas, look up Galilee, look up Jerusalem. Jerusalem is down south in Judea. Galilee is up north. I'm from, I'm, I was born and raised in the south. I know the difference between somebody in the south and folks up north. Okay? They're not the same. Jerusalem wasn't the hometown of any of those. You know why Jerusalem, he said Jerusalem? Jerusalem is the city of the great king, Matthew 5.34. That's the seat of the government of the kingdom. It had to be converted first. That was the seat of the nation Israel. When somebody says to you, Jerusalem is your hometown, Judea is the territory around it, and Samaria is that, and then, you know what they're doing? They're telling you you can't believe your Bible. That might be a fundamental professing preacher, but he's telling you Jerusalem doesn't mean Jerusalem. It means something else. You know what Jerusalem meant? It meant Jerusalem. That's where they were to start. And so as they go out and preach the gospel of the kingdom that he gave them to preach, he says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Now, when Paul said, what must I do? He didn't say, believe and be baptized. He said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. There are people today who say, you've got to believe and be baptized. Peter on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. When they asked him, verse 37, when they heard these things, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? That's the same question that John was asked, Jesus was asked, Peter's asked. Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. If you want your sins forgiven and you want to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, you've got to repent and be baptized. Now, I know somebody says, well, that just means that they had to be baptized because their sins were forgiven. But see, Peter didn't understand it that way. In Acts 3.19, he tells him again, Repent you therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. That's why in, John, in, in Acts 2, verse 38, 39, verse 40, he says, With many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Did you realize in Acts chapter 2, Peter is telling people to save themselves? <laughs> I thought you couldn't save yourself. Well, if you're going to use Acts 2 as your pattern, you better save yourself. So which one of these instructions am I supposed to follow? Now, this is, issue, this is an issue because I'm trying to get to heaven. I'm trying to have eternal life. I'm trying to figure out what I, what I need to do. And all of a sudden, just reading my Bible, it isn't quite as simple as I thought it was going to be. That's why, folks, week after week, I try to tell you here, listen, you have no right to change the instructions. You have no right. Paul had no right to change the instructions. Only God had the right to change the instructions. On, that's only something God can do, and he did do that. That's the reason I, 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 I try to say to you week after week, Listen, if you don't understand how to rightly divide the word of truth, make the distinctions and the programs and the message that God has made in his word, you're going to wind up in absolute confusion. If you don't make those distinctions, those dispensational distinctions, you can try to amalgamate it all together, and you're going to wind up in absolute total confusion. And if you don't understand that, look around you at the church today and see the confusion that comes from not seeing that distinction. 
In Acts 3.21, Peter says, what I'm preaching to you, what Jesus preached on this earthly ministry, what John the Baptist preached, is that which is spoken by the mouth of all the holy prophets since the world began. That's what they were preaching. Paul says, I'm preaching Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest. Listen, you know just by reading Acts 3.21 and Romans 16.25 that that is two different distinct programs and messages and systems in the Bible. Just like when Paul would say we're not under the law, but we're under grace, that's two distinct systems. Why? Because that's what God has said he's doing. When Paul talks about preaching Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, Ephesians chapter 2, he said, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you word. I had a man say to me just recently in a Bible conference, I was in Florida, and he says, Brother Jordan, I never heard this information before. <laughs> Why not? I said, well, don't ask me. I'm trying to tell you. Go ask, where have you been? If you have heard, there are people that haven't heard something that God's made known. If you've heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, that's why I try to say it to you week after week here, so you have heard how that by revelation he, Christ, made known unto me the mystery, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. What is it? That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs into the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. You see, the gospel that Jesus Christ died for your sins, was buried and raised again the third day, for your justification, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. The message of God today isn't go out and sell all that you have so you can have eternal life. The message of God isn't go out here and treat people right, go out here and be involved in eleemosynary in interests, go out here and take care of poor people. That isn't the message to get saved today. That isn't the message of how to have everlasting life today. The message today is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ went to Calvary, paid for everything that's wrong with you, and you need to trust and rely exclusively on him to have life everlasting. But if you fail to rightly divide God's word, that's a failure to have an answer to life's most important question, which is what must I do to be saved? That's how important rightly dividing God's word is. Our time's almost gone. Let me give you a free Bible study resource that will help you with this. Can I do that? Sometime you've heard, seen little tracts called The Romans Road to Salvation. In the Bible, the book of Romans is a book about salvation. It's God's handbook of salvation. I'd like to give you this Bible study resource that will take you through the book of Romans, the first five chapters, and talk to you about what salvation is. If you want to read the greatest gospel track ever written, read Romans chapter five, verse one, Romans chapter one to five. The Romans Road to Salvation. I'd be happy to send you a free copy of this Bible study. You simply call me here, 888-535-2300. That number again is 888-535-2300. We're certainly glad that uh, you join us each week like this. You know, th this is it's a privilege for us to be able to share these things with you. And as I, as I say to you week after week, we're not trying to get you to join anything. We're, trying to, we're trying, not trying to get you to uh, do something for us. We don't have a denomination for you to be a part of. We just want you to 
We want to proclaim to you, talk to you about a person, the Lord Jesus Christ, out of a book called the Bible, the King James Bible. And we want God's Word to work effectually in you because you believe it. And you know, one of the joys of our life is the fact that there are there are people in in your area where you're listening to this radio program. This program is broadcast on a number of markets around the United States. And in every market where it's broadcast, there is a local group of people who help us put this program on the station who are in agreement. They understand God's Word rightly divided. They study each week. They meet together each weekend. They take a King James Bible. They study it rightly divided. And for them, the, the grace life, Christ in you, the hope of glory, is the issue. Not some religion, not some works program, but who God has made us in Christ, living in us and through us because our confidence is in God's Word. First Thessalonians 2.13, Paul says, that the word is the word of God that works effectually in you that believe. Can I tell you that there are people right in your neighborhood? I say that so you understand. You don't just have to listen to the radio. There are people in your neighborhood that would do you good. If you call us at eight 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 five three five twenty three hundred, we'll put you in touch with these folks in your area, and you can be a part of a of a group of people who believe. Uh, the Bible will be the Word of God, who appreciate its power of authority, who understand how to rightly divide it, and who understand how to make grace, the grace life, the issue in their life. There is a gospel you can believe. There is a Bible you can trust. There is a study you can understand. There is a life you can live, and there is a purpose that you can fulfill. And there are folks right in your area that can help you in, in, in those things. If that's if those things are in, in, important to you, listen— you rob yourself and your family of a spiritual heritage by not being a part of that. 888-535-2300. You call us and we'll put you in touch with the folks that are in your area. If you're in a place where you can't get out, you're housebound or you don't have the opportunity to go places, can I tell you that we, on the weekend, on Sundays and Wednesdays, in our ministry, I pastor a, a, a very active church in the Chicagoland area. Um, we put all of our services on the Internet. We webcast them live. We also archive them for future uh, viewing. If you go to our website, graceimpact.org, graceimpact, one word, graceimpact.org, you'll find at 930, at 1045, and 6 p.m. on Sunday, and 730 on Wednesday night, and these are central times, uh, you'll find our broadcast available where you can study live with us. If you'd like to, if you need to do it, you know, look at them after we've done them, there'll be links that will put you to places where you can see the archived versions of these studies. Can I tell you that we're trying to make God's Word available? We're trying to put it out there where you can get a hold of it and where it can be real in your life. That's our purpose. And we're happy to spend and be spent to make that possible. 888-535-2300. That's the number to call if you need information. Graceimpact.org is the place to go on the Internet. If you uh, would like to see uh, our join us for our live studies or archive ones. And uh, you can find other information about us and about Grace School of the Bible. If you're interested in being a real in-depth student of God's Word, go there and look at the information about Grace School of the Bible. It's a unique program. The curriculum is Bible-based, Pauline right division-based. It's not the standard systematic theologies that you get in, in schools that only produce the confusion that you see about you on every hand. But you can have God's Word as the basis of your faith.
graceimpact.org, 888-535-2300. It's a number to call. Thanks for being with us today. Till next time, Maranatha.